0: welcome back to the swim Swam breakdown as always i'm your host coleman hodges coming to you from austin texas we've got swim swim editor-in-chief Braden keith in philadelphia pennsylvania and swim swim fan favorite uh author yenian lee from madison new jersey I'm what's a up fan guys it's favorite been a author mile.
1: now is is that my new title
2: so yeah everybody feels bad for you because you got your twitter hacked <laughs> Someone <laughs> said
1: Braden hacked it because he was salty that he lost to me in the draft. And honestly, I believe it. I believe it.
2: Uh no. Oh. Honestly, I Conspiracy don't theory. care about winning the draft. All I care about is beating Ben. Um, because if you lose to Ben in a fantasy draft, it's, it's a little
1: embarrassing.
2: Yeah, that's not good. It's <laughs> not good at all. My team let me down, and so I'm going to put that squarely on them. I drafted great. They let me down. <laughs>
0: And that that's what it is. Uh, we've obviously had a lot happen in the past 2 weeks, I think more than we even bargained for. So let's get right into it. Swim of March, swim of the month, give it to me. KD's 200 IM at 148.2, Kate Douglas. Leon Marchand's 400 IM from NC's 328.8 or Summer MacIntosh's surprise world record 356.0. What is the best swim that's happened? This month. I,
2: I think you captured it perfectly in your video last night, Coleman. We were all hoping we'd get a little bit of a lull here at Swim Swam after a couple of chaotic weeks. And Summer just said, no, no, sir. Um, you're gonna get right back into it. So I'm gonna give it to Summer for choosing violence. Um, she <laughs> I, you know, I don't think it would have surprised anybody to see her win the world championship this year, win the Olympic gold in, in Paris. I don't think at this meet at these trials that was what anybody thought um and and as good as Kate's swims, swims were as good as Leon's swims were I feel like summer's more than any kind of elite people's imaginations about what we might be seeing this summer and next summer I think I you know that's how I I look at a question like this where it's obviously a ridiculous question because they were all obscene swims and there's no Bad answer to this question. Um, to me, she was the one that brought up the most what in the world could we see next sort of conversations.
1: I'm gonna have to go with Marchie in March, first of all, because Leon Marchand is it was in nickname. March. <laughs> Didn't you come up with it? You were the one that no. came up
2: with it. No, I wanted to call him the lion, and you guys said that was stupid. But
1: that doesn't even make sense. That's just boring. Anyways. Leon um it and
0: makes, it's Adam it Petty.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, I I didn't know that. Maybe I should do my research. But um yeah. I think maybe it's just me, but Summer we were surprised that she broke her world record right now at this stage, but we knew that she would be going 356 someday. It was But just she didn't inevitable. win this world
2: championship. This is not the one she won the world championship in.
1: But she's also the world championship was also last year. She's gotten so much better since last year. And anyways, um, and with Katie and her two, I am. I also thought I knew that was coming from her. But Leon and his three twenty eight. That was just mind boggling to me because when you think of because I didn't think. He had a 328 in him. I thought he had broken the record so many times in season, and I did just didn't think he had room to drop that much. And he did. And when you look at just the margin over the second fastest performer of all time, he's four seconds faster than that. Um
2: in yards. And it's just
1: margin margin of victory, just surprise the surprise element for me. And when you look when, and you look at the picture of his finish. He's so much more like far ahead than Carson Foster, who's a world silver medalist, Hugo Gonzalez, the former record holder. It's just a display of dominance. And as good as the other two swims were, Leon's 328 was just the most impressive in my book.
2: So you're in summer, you're 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 downgrading <laughs> Summer because the rest of the Canadian swimmers aren't that good. That's I'm not fair.
1: downgrading no, Summer. No, that's fair. No, that's
2: fair. Totally
0: fair. Well, but Summer is less than half a second away from the next two performers in Ariarn Titmus and Katie Ledecky.
2: Okay, but that's Katie Ledecky. Carson Foster, great uh, yeah. swimmer. Hugo <laughs> Gonzalez, great swimmer. They're not Katie Ledecky.
0: Yeah, but so in the same in the same vein, KD is, is almost two plus seconds ahead of Alex Walsh and Tori Husk. And they swam and... the second and third fastest swims ever right behind her. And she made them look like no ones. Uh so to me, Kate Douglas's two IM was the best of those three because I think Leon's 328.8 is it like the the tip of, of what is possible for him to go and not like a stupid time. I think 148 high was was that equivalent for Kate Douglas's two. I am called it. She said 148 for KD. I'm giving it to her, but I don't think anyone called 148 two. I think some people were like Leon right. might might go like a, a an 88. Sorry, 148 that's because three.
1: people overproject for Leon Marchand. I didn't think well. That's wrong. because people he already project- broke
0: the NCAA record twice before NCAA's, and so. Kate hadn't had a swim like that so far this season. So to me, I think her, it came, this swim came first. And so the surprise factor and just like the, oh my God. And the fact that she beat the next two fastest performers in that heat by so much. That's what made it stand out for me.
2: You've convinced me, Coleman. You're right. It was, <laughs> it was Kate Douglas. It's
1: fun fact, little inside scoop here. I, I talked to Kate Douglas yesterday for um, I'm doing an interview with her for the Swim Swim Magazine. She didn't decide on swimming the 200 IM till the day before entries were due. And then she went 148. Like,
2: what <laughs> and that's, is that's And that? that's how Virginia rolls, right? Like, when you talk to their coaches, like, how do you decide the events? And they're like, yeah, whatever event, our swimmers are most excited to swim, which is easy to do when you're going to win the meet by 100 points, of course. So, you know, we'll, eventually they'll have a competitive meet and we'll have to see if that changes at all. But. I love that. For
0: now, I'll give it. I'll, I'll give another fun little insider tidbit. Before Canadian trials started, Mel was going to put out a gold medal minute of Katie Ledecky, and he predicted that Summer was going to get third in the four hundred world champs.
2: Oh. <laughs> that <laughs> that is video is no anymore.
0: longer coming out.
2: He probably said Ledecky <laughs> with was those go predictions.
0: <laughs> those predictions will never see the light of day. You'll only uh, hear we about need them to we need on to put
2: TikTok as a hot take.
0: (laughs) All right. So uh, we're already on the topic of yards. We're, We're done with meters already. Let's talk about NCAAs. There's so much to talk about, but as an overview, men's or women's NCAAs to you, which was the better overall meet?
2: I thought going into it, I was more excited about women's um Because of the the hundred free, the hundred fly, the two im some of those races that we had lined up, and while there were some great individual performances, and the two hundred IM, like we just talked about, I, I thought overall some of the swims didn't live up to the hype. uh The men's meet to me totally lived up to the hype with the team battles with Leon Marchand ex-
1: exceeded the hype.
2: Yeah, so so to me, from just a like. And, and maybe that's a victim of expectation, but you know, there was, there was not a lot of interesting team battle in the women's meet, and That still does matter at NCAAs, right? This isn't the Olympics. Um, the team battles are really the crux of what we're, what we're doing. And just the back and forth with Texas clawing their way back up to third Indiana coming down to the wire, having the chance to get them. Um, you know, I think, we could have seen a few more good swims maybe from the cow guys like Destin Lasco. If Destin Lasco had broken a, a backstroke record, it would be a slam dunk, no question for me. But still, I think the men, the men exceeded the hype expectations better than the women did, so I'll say the men.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Braden on this one. Coming into the meet, I was also more excited about the women's meet just because I was really hyper-focused on the very stacked races and the top. And I do think part of the reason why I thought the men's meet was more exciting was because the women's meet felt very top heavy because the UVA trio, Tori Husk, Maggie McNeil, they were all doing great, but the rest of the rest of the field almost felt a little disappointing because I was looking at the top times in the country um, after the NCAA season ended and Almost all of the men's times, actually all the men's times except for Jordan Crooks is fifty free, and we all know what happened with fi- the fifty free and the whole starting scandal. But um, scandal! every single time, every single fastest time in the nation was set at NCAAs. Whereas the women's meet, there were so many events where the fastest time was at a midseason. The fastest five hundred free time in the nation was set at a texas nc state duel meet, and people weren't going nearly as fast as ncas and in two medley relay only five teams dropped from their seat and i don't know it just felt it just felt a little disappointing all around just i'm not i mean like the top it was still very fast both meets were incredible but i just feel like the depth at the woman's meet wasn't really there
2: well in the crooks controversy almost made it a better meet right like i you know any good sporting event that has ever Ever existed any of the greatest sporting events that have ever existed almost all of them have had controversy that's that's just part of what people like in, in sports in my opinion
0: i guess that might take it over the top but <clears throat> to me i feel like the women's meet was the better meet but like for the same reasons it exceeded my expectations because the 200 im was so fast like the top three were you know historically fast the hundred fly you had two women at, under the old record forty eight 485 eight five the fifty free was so fast like I didn't see Gretchen Walsh going forty eight two in the hundred back like there were a lot of times where the winning time was way faster than I thought and then there were half the events that were not fast at all but then like the relays at both meets UVA. Set a lot of the records at conference, but then went nearly as fast or as fast on, I think, one.
1: At the men's at the meet, women's all meet, five relay records were broken. The
0: men- I think I'm a little, I don't know. I think we've seen meets in the past where like a, a men's meets at like 16 and 17, where like every individual NCA record gets broken. And so to have five relay records, but then only three individuals all from the same guy who we thought was going to go fast. I think that's what for me feels kind of like, okay, this was a really great meet, but Leon's the only one who's breaking individual records. So like, um, whereas the, the women's meet, I didn't think we would but see times eight, that fast in a lot of events.
2: I thought one through eight was better in the men's meet.
0: And I agree with that. Oh, so yeah. I I think I will say the men's, but in my mind, that's, that's the argument for the women's meet.
2: You're just mad that it was cold in Minneapolis. <laughs>
1: The it was pleasant. Meet, it was sunny.
0: It was pleasantly cold. Meet,
1: like, definitely had more stars. And honestly, I'm only picking because you forced me to choose, Coleman. I don't <laughs> want to have to choose between either me. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 why are you doing
0: spring. this to us? <laughs> Keeping it on this NCAA madness, both meets were super fast. We can all agree on that. But why? Why do you think <laughs> that yard swimming has gotten to a point where if you're not breaking an NCAA record, we're just kind of like, okay.
2: (laughs) Uh, Which is sad in a little bit of a way. (laughs) Um, I think there's a few things. I think it's the, you know, not having the prelims relays, which for a lot of the big swimmers is saving them three or four swims over a four-day meet, which for that matter used to be a three-day meet. I think that's a huge difference. Um, I think some of it is there's a rabbit on both sides to chase, right? There's, there's Leon and there's Kate Douglas and there's Alex Walsh. We're just so happen to have a couple of superstars rolling through at the same time. And that's, that's how advances are made in swimming, right? Somebody comes through and does something crazy and then everybody chases them and, and realizes what's possible. I also kind of wonder if we're in a little bit of a sweet spot where, you know, we used to have the mega volume training and then we went real short and it seems like more coaches than not have kind of settled in a middle place where you do some, you do more race pace stuff than they did in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, but you do more volume than they did maybe in the the mid twenty tens. Um, and and more coaches have sort of perfected this idea that you don't have to just be fast one time a calendar year. So I, you know, I wonder if if some of this is there's a few coaches around of the right age, right? Like think Todd DeSorvo. Oh, what's he 45, something like that. So, so he's, you know, he saw it all, right. He probably trained in a high volume program. He probably started coaching when he was young and learning in a, in, in an environment that was trying more race pace stuff. And, and it seems like he's hit a balance of, how to do both of those things and how to do them well and how to do them well more than once a year. Um, So I, you know, I'd like to believe that maybe we're entering sort of a golden era of coaching where we, I want to say have, have cracked the code, but you know, we've kind of figured out where that balance is between the volume and the, the sprinting.
1: Yeah. um, Going off of what Braden said about the golden era, not just the golden era of coaching, but also a golden era of Swimmers, especially on the woman side, because I mentioned this once before, but I think Kate Douglas, the Wolf sisters, Tori Husk, Claire Curzon, and Maggie McNeil are the most talented, most dominant group of six NCA swimmers that we've ever seen. And we talk a lot about the greatest NCA swimmer of all time, but really I think if there's a award for the greatest group of NCAA swimmers of all time to be swimming college at the same time, I would give it to them. And yeah, I think that's also part of the reason why just having these general generational talents in the water at once.
2: And that's always a sensitive subject, right? Like everybody who swam in the eighties thinks that their heroes were just as good as today. They just didn't have this, 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 and this. I, from where I sit, there is just more talent in the sport than there ever has been. The, the swimming is getting better athletes than they ever have. And it's probably, a, it feels like a trope, but it probably goes back to Phelps um, because that's kind of the age these kids are right. They started swimming at peak Phelps era. Um, and so maybe it's, you know, maybe the coaching is, is perfect for better athletes. Like maybe it's a, a combinatory effect where better athletes need a different kind of coaching than people like me who I'm not a great, like I'm not a great natural athlete, right? I'm, a, I'm an above average natural athlete, but I'm nothing compared to the swimmers of today. And like I needed more, I probably needed more volume to hit my potential just because I didn't have that twitch to respond to some of the stuff that they're doing now. And maybe these coaches have just sort of intentionally or otherwise hit on something that wouldn't have worked in the eighties, but work with the kind of athlete they're swimming with today. I am just
1: about, I'm curious about one thing. Whereas I feel like, especially on when you're not at the highest level, a lot of people they're really fast in high school and they go to college and they just burn out because in college, you're not just focusing on swimming club, five days a week you're having a student life you're getting education you're pursuing other things and i guess in the swimming on the swimming aspect you're not going as fast and you're burning out and i wonder if we're seeing a trend of less than that than we are in the past i mean it still happens but maybe less often
0: i certainly feel like people are more aware of it Um, and like the emphasis on mental health in athletics generally i think helps with that as well. Like, you know, if you need to take a step away, do it, which Adam Petey just did, which we'll talk about in a minute, but uh, I'm going to use another trope. Say what you will about it. ISL changed the game. Everyone's swimming fast all the time. I think that trickled down into the NCAA. I think coaches are seeing that and Braden brought it up, but I think the fact that people can swim fast throughout the season has, has changed the stakes. And then, you get to the NCAA and that automatically elevates your mentality. And I think the, the body follows and then you're going to be able to put up fast swims I, because I think coaches are finding that the best practice for swimming fast is swimming fast. Last yards topic, Leon Marchand completed.
2: Australians, you can start watching here.
0: <laughs> Australians <laughs> completed the, or sorry, Leon Marchand completed the first, Perfect season in the NCAA since Natalie Coughlin in 2002. He was undefeated in individual final swims. What does this mean? How significant is it? Does this mean Leon Marchand is an actual superhero?
2: <laughs> I think Natalie Coughlin might be an actual superhero. Um, you know, Somebody questioned this in the comments. They said, so they just didn't swim off events. Well, that's absolutely not true. They both swam off events on in route to their undefeated seasons. It just so happens that they were really good at their off events. He led the
0: NCAA in every stroke.
2: Right. They just don't have off events the way that the rest of us did, which again, better athletes don't have to be breaststrokers or backstrokers. Turns out neither motion is necessarily any more complicated than anything else in sports. Uh, and if Steph Curry can dribble really well and shoot three pointers really well, I don't know why you can't swim breaststroke and backstroke really well, but I digress. Um, the fact that Leon and Coughlin are the two who have done it says to me just how big of a deal it is, right? Like we didn't need this stat to know that Leon had a ridiculous season. We didn't need this stat to know that Natalie Coughlin had an obscene NCAA career, like people who weren't following the sport back then because it was pre swim slam um, and the coverage didn't exist. Like it's probably hard for them to conceptualize just how good Natalie Coughlin was in that era. Um, so the fact that like two of these people who are sort of undeniably recognized as among the top, well Leon's probably not among the top five yet, but if he mm-hmm. swims out his Arizona state career, he will be like that's that says to me that this is significant because it's not, it's not like there were just really good swimmers doing this, right? Like, it's two of the greatest have done this.
1: Yeah. Before I stay my take on this, I just want to say it took me so long just to get this stat, just to confirm that it was just Leon and Natalie in this 20-year period. I was going through every single Duel Me NCA PDF from, like, the early 2000s. It, it was a AKA lot.
2: before Yin was born. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) this this record was older than Union.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I just think it's pretty significant that it's Leon and Natalie that were the two swimmers that pulled off this perfect season, because obviously being undefeated isn't a metric of success. And as much as people want to say now that swimming fast all the time is more important it's just a matter of fact that some meets still matter more than others and if you lose a dual meet and you're not undefeated that shouldn't count against you in a ncaa greatest of all time debate
2: but what i think it did <laughs> what if what if that's how we handed out ncaa entries
0: Ooh, gretchen oh, walsh the... you lost to your teammate kate douglas bummer loser. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Next then we'll get a lot of angry emails. Um, But <laughs> yeah, I think it's more so just symbolic because personally, I think Natalie Coughlin is still the greatest NCAA swimmer of all time, at least the most dominant. And Leon is on a trajectory to becoming a swimmer as dominant as she is. And I just think it's really, it's very like picturesque
0: We're done with yard swimming. Australians, here's your chance. We're switching to meters. As we mentioned before, Adam Peaty has announced that he will pull out of the 2023 British World Championship trials, citing mental health reasons. Uh, He is, quote, burnt out. He needs a break. I think we've kind of seen this in his times leading up to this. He's been 59, one double in the hundred breasts lately. He's swam 200 breasts. I think he was 212-ish. Uh so he's taking a break. He's still training with his coach Mel Marshall. The question is, do we think this break is going to be enough to propel him to a podium finish and or gold medal in Paris?
2: Uh, It's tough, right? Because mental health means so many different things to so many different people. So it's hard to know exactly what the depth of that is, what he's doing to work on it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, based on the information we have now, I'd say probably not going to win a gold medal. Um, If he comes back, I think he's still a a strong medal contender, but like Niccolo Martinengi and if Michael Andrew. Brings it back together in this race. He's got a 58-1. Like I feel like I feel like the 56s are done. I feel like we're done with the 56s. I feel like we're done with Project Immortal. Um, maybe even done with the 57s, but you know, maybe you could get a 57 high or something. But to me, there's there's just kind of too much competition around the world. Um Arno Kaminga. He had a bad year last year, but that was largely due to different illnesses he had. Um, So there's no reason to not expect him to be back in that 58 low 57 high range. I just, I just don't see it. You know, it's, this is, this doesn't feel like Simone. This doesn't feel like Caleb Dressel where they are going to take their, their defined period of time and come back. Right. Like it, it kind of feels like he's been working on this for a year now and there's no timeline for mental health. Um, but at some point that time will just be stacking up and the year might not be enough for him to get it all back together. I don't, you know, to me, if, if he had swum at trials and it didn't go great, and then he went to worlds anyways, and it didn't go great, that would at least be a step forward. You know, I I don't want to say the wrong thing here because obviously his mental health is most important. Um, but, you know, to me, it's it's the fact that he's still at a point where he can't swim the trials meet. That doesn't give me a lot of confidence that he's going to have it worked out in, by next year.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it seems as if PD hit this high a few years ago and was just going higher and higher and higher. And then he started... Thinking about stuff like Project Immortal, and I don't know, and he just crashed after that. And that's normal. That happens to everyone. And it's something, and with these crashes, it's like it takes a bit of time to realize you're in that position. And I think he's had a few bumps in the road already with what happened missing the podium at Commonwealth Games, breaking his foot. And I think he's just. Him skipping world, I mean, him skipping trials to me comes off as if he's finally realizing that maybe it's time to step out, take a break, realize that he's not in the best state. And I think for him, the goal isn't to get back to where he was in 2019 going 56s, but just to be just to find that spark and that love for swimming again, it's something that he's talked about. And I just don't think, I just don't think medals are the priority for him. And I know um, it's interesting how Braden said that um, this is not a case like with Simone and Caleb, but I honestly think it's a pretty similar situation. Whereas they're trying to get back. They crashed. And they're trying to take baby steps back into the sport. And I think he's in that position. I don't think a year will be like enough for him to go back to top. But maybe he can probably medal. But for now, I'm going to say I don't think he's going to win gold.
2: Well, it's kind of an interesting timeline when you look at how, how this all kind of came about, right? Like he swam so well. He was swimming so well. He couldn't miss. And then he kind of wrote the book and i've never written an autobiography but what i would imagine is that writing a book about yourself is is a weird headspace to be in right because people you're 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 really doing a lot of self examination you're thinking a lot about yourself and what's important to you and that can be a good thing it can also be a dangerous thing i think you know they, like when you go to therapy right therapy is, is a lot thinking about yourself and what's important to you. And and that's a good thing, but it's sort of a managed process. Um, Writing a book isn't always a managed process. So you, you, you know, you create a version of yourself that you want the world to know you as, right? No, these books, these books are never fully authentic or, or very rarely are they fully authentic, especially when you're still active, right? If somebody writes one end of life long after their career is over, maybe they're a little more authentic, but you're at the peak of your career you're trying to write a version of yourself that frankly is going to sell a lot of books is going to sell some endorsements is going to get some followers like there's a there's a goal of these books and there's nothing wrong with doing that um but it felt to me like when he was writing that book he was in a a a strange headspace where he was kind of like he was trying to create memorable quotes for the world to use in in a tribute to adam peaty and and then when the swimming stopped going well and he broke his foot and, and all of those things, it's, it's almost like he came from this highest high where Adam Petey is is at the top of everything. And, and so it's not just like the swimming, right? It's not just, he was swimming really well and had an injury and things kind of fell apart. It was everything in his life. He was on top of the world. He was on the dancing show He and, and did pretty well on the dancing show. Like, everything was coming up PD, and then the injury happened. And that would be really, really hard, I think, to go from feeling like everything was going right. And then all of a sudden it's all, it's all gone. Like you, it, it's not all gone, but it could be easy to feel like it was all gone.
1: To me, autobiographies theme seem like a, reflectionary thing it's something you do when you're retired and you're bored and you want to look back and think about your life it's not something you do when you're in the peak of your career and i just find that a little strange but
2: but people people me. buy more books when you're still active that's there's, why that's why you do other, it while you're still active. there's
1: other ways to make money i just yeah. yeah i just find that a little out of the blue
2: books are a really good way to make money if you've never written one consider it
1: <laughs> maybe i'll write an autobiography right now and i'll sell it on swim swim
2: yeah perfect. it's yeah. it's your it. window
0: yin, yin. Yeah. <laughs> all right staying on the topic of europe and long course uh world aquatics has announced uh the world cup series for 2023 it'll feature three stops all in europe all in the month of october berlin athens and budapest it's long course as is tradition in the pre-Olympic year. What are just our initial thoughts on this announcement? The we have three stops again. This time they're all in Europe instead of Europe, Canada and North America. It's a long course. We've seen that before in pre-Olympic years. What do we think?
2: Well, I like the three stops. I you know, I thought that worked pretty well last year. Um I think much longer than that, especially when you do the different pods like they had been doing i think it can be hard for the general public to sort of stay engaged with it for too long um which by the way is something we've seen in, in the isl format too so i like the three stops um i wonder what happened behind the scenes that they're all back in europe um because from where we sit obviously i i sit in the united states but it seems like the north american stops were good for the series um but we have to remember that the you know whenever you look at, at world aquatics, you, you have to look at the politics of it and world aquatics and the new Len governing board are very close, very politically tied. They, they like each other a lot. Um, so you wonder if the European said we want all of the meats this year and world aquatics said, yeah, you've done some things for us. So we'll allow that. I don't know that, you know, that's, that's, that's what it looks like from the outside to me. Um, so we'll see if it's as popular this year. It's hard to get an objective global picture of what's popular. You know, we can look at our traffic and and see how interested people were. Um, it'll certainly be a little easier for athletes to attend all three stops. So maybe that's part of the motivation too, is, is trying to not get people to just go to one stop and say, "Yeah, I don't want to get on a plane across an ocean right now. So I'm just going to skip the other two. Um, but I don't, I'm not fully convinced that'll work either. I think the athletes kind of do what they want to do.
1: Well, I'm mainly salty about it not being in the US because if it was an Indy, I would have wanted to go, but I cannot travel to Europe. Um, or at least it would be difficult. You but have a passport? I do, but I'm, I'm not going to travel, huh? Don't like, I wouldn't in fly York? in the it's middle of October. I mean, very... I won't be... <laughs> I mean, I won't be in New York next October, but um, anyways... Um, I, from a commercial standpoint, I do think having it in North America drew a large audience, drew more engagement and Australians can say whatever they want about this, but it's just a matter of a fact that U.S. athletes, U.S. is the biggest premier country for swimming and having these meets be more accessible to Americans, especially big name Americans like Katie Ledecki, I don't think she would have done the World Cup meets if they were in Europe.
2: Definitely. And
1: yeah. And she was what drew the most attention this year at the World Cup meets. And just everything with the with one of the World Cup meets being in Indy, um, and that being the site of Olympic trials, there was a lot of discussion around Olympic trials when that meet was happening, I remember. And just it's more, it's more accessible to people that probably wouldn't have been able to go if it was in Europe. For example, there's a lot of NCAA athletes um, that were at a few of the World Cup stops this year. And if they had to travel all the way to Europe, it probably would have been a lot more difficult um, for them. And, just, and I just remember this year generating more tension than last year and previous years. And yeah, I don't know, we'll see. But I do think having it in... Uh, North America was a great commercial move last year. I'm kind of upset that they're not doing that this year, but whatever. Would
2: have been great to have a US meet long course cuz everybody would show Yeah.
1: Up. Yeah. Everybody.
2: Yeah. Including- I was talking about this
1: um off off camera um before we started recording with Coleman. There's so many US athletes that only swim long course like Katie Ledecky and there's just this dead period between the big summer long course meet and the U S open where we don't see a lot of these swimmers race and having a U.S. meet in long course in October would be a great opportunity to fill that dead,
2: dead period. Cause we used to have a fall pro swim series and mm-hmm. we don't have that anymore. Although that was sometimes in yards.
0: I do miss that though. I, I personally, I don't love when the it world cup is long right? course. It was in Minneapolis. Yeah. I don't love when it when it strays away from short course meters because it's the only short course meters like high profile meets we get. But I understand it; it's fine. That's our news for the week. Now it's time for some sink or swim. First up today on sink or swim, Ruard Van Rainen, the top mid major scorer at the men's NCAA's for the Southern Illinois Salukis. Enters the transfer portal. We have speculated where he might pick for his next landing spot. I am curious, sink or swim? Ruard lands in the Pac-12. You
2: just call him Ru. Um, the Australians will like that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's tough, right? Because Cal makes the most sense with Peter Cuttis going there and the backstroke thing. There's a lot of reasons that Cal makes sense, but there's no way that Cal has any money left to give him either next year or the year after. Um, so I, you know, from a pragmatic perspective, I don't know, maybe maybe he's an independently wealthy. I don't know his personal situation, but if he's looking for money, I don't think Cal makes a lot of sense um, to me. So, you know, I'd, I'd sink it. I'm thinking he's going to wind up in the SEC somewhere. I'm thinking like an NC State. Somebody proposed Auburn, which has a pretty good backstroke group. He would be at the top of that group, but it, you know, to me when I talked to him yesterday, he really was like, "Yeah, I I want people to race, but if I have to race the clock, I'll race the clock." Um to me Auburn has enough to push him, but he can still be the top dog, which is I don't know, to me, that's kind of like the ideal situation, right, is to be the the top dog among top dogs, to be that much better than the, the other top dogs that you're training with. Um, so I think he's going to stay east. I would, I would predict somewhere in the SEC, uh, so I'll sink Pac-12.
1: I'm going to swim him going to the Pac-12 because I think he's going to go to ASU. I think ASU just seems like a great fit for him as a backstroker. They're really good at developing backstrokers. You saw that this year with Owen McDonald. He came in with like a 144, 143, 200-back time, and he got that down to a 139. Jack Wadsworth, who was probably in a similar situation as Ruud Van Vanden last year. He was a D3 record holder in the 100-back and then he transferred to ASU, dropped a ton of time from his D3 days. And I think he s- scored at NCAs or was close to scoring at NCAs. And Ruard, he's he's a backstroker. And also ASU, I think Jack Dolan is leaving. That's their medley relay 100 backstroker. And I think Ruard slides perfectly into that position. So given... ASU's track history of developing backstrokers recently and also having that sprint backstroke hole. And what Jack Wadsworth and Owen McDonald are better 200 backstrokers than 100 backstrokers. And I just think it would be a really good fit for him.
0: Uh, I don't know. Swim, I guess. I think Cal or ASU is a good landing spot. I think they have good history with developing international talent as well as backstroking talent. Uh, I think the prospect of training with either of their big dogs would probably be good if this guy's serious about getting ready for Paris 2024 as well as the next year's NCAA. So, yeah, I'll swim it. I don't know anything about this guy though. So, really, who's to say? Speaking of ASU, who though,
2: <laughs> who you keep referring to as this guy, so you don't have to say his name again. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of ASU, according to our time converter, Leon Marchand's 328.8 400 yard IM converts to a 358 long course meter 400 IM sink or swim Leon Marchand 358 this summer.
2: Can't argue with math. I <laughs> do what you want me to say. It's math. There's, there's only one true math. Um, that's a lie. Uh, I'm going to sink it, it but not confidently no i think i think look i'm ready to say he breaks phelps's world record i'm ready to say that and i think that's a big thing to say i don't think he's going 358 (laughs) i just i just don't think i just don't think he's going 358 but i you know i didn't think he was going 328 either so what do i know let's ask mel 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 will call 357
1: Yeah, this is, this is just stupid. Like, uh, no, he's not like he's, he can break Phelps's 400 IM world record. I totally see that. I would be shocked if he didn't this summer, but 358. No,
2: what I love is that the converter has made it very easy for all of us to say that he's going to break the world record. We're all just yeah. like acted like this isn't the world record of all world records, and I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, he's we knew that. Record.
1: We knew that even during NCAA's when he broke, um, when he went three fifty three twenty eight, everyone was saying he's gonna smash Phelps's world record, and I think I think he will break the world record, but three fifty eight is just outworldly. And I've been reading a lot of the comments on that article, and someone Why? brought up an interesting point, saying that, um. Marchand a lot of the reason why he's better in yards this year is because he got better in underwaters and I'm interested to seeing if that can translate to long course and uh, I mean the phrase translating into long course has become a very touchy subject for readers apparently recently but yeah I'm curious
0: I mean, the dude goes 404 already. Yeah. And that was with a best time of 333. He now goes 328 short course. It's not like he's gotten worse this season in well, long course. But there's always
2: the question of was the 404 the start of the 328 or was it the end of the mm-hmm. 333?
0: I agree. But, I, I mean, I I <clears throat> I think it was the start of the 328. Meaning that he could drop five seconds in long course <laughs> and go three fifty nine.
2: Too much. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh No, I'm thinking it. I don't think he'll go three fifty eight. I was gonna
2: make you get a haircut if you. Swear I one.
0: think I. I would. I. W- I could confidently call a four hundred one.
1: Maybe
2: even a four double. I, I
1: can see that. I can see that.
2: He's gonna make a terrible TikTok one day. <laughs> Yeah, All right.
1: Um K Douglas's 148 convert to. I was curious about that. I, I heard someone say one, 205 in the comments, but I'm not sure.
2: No, I don't know. I didn't look. The you I gotta think the, I, the, I'd the
0: buy 205.9.
2: The converters are always a little wonky at the fridges because the the math becomes a little exponential. Just just trust me. I, I, I ran that phrase by Barry and and he said that made sense. So just trust me. <laughs>
0: All right, next up, uh, Josh Leendo is fresh off a new Canadian record in the 100 fly. He was 50.36 last night at Canadian trials, and he is fresh off of his first NCAA title where he was 40.2 in the 100 free. Does Liendo win an individual world title this summer in Fukuoka?
2: I'm going to sink it just because the competition is too good. He's got to beat Popovic. He's got to beat Malak. I don't see either of those happening. And, the, and I think those are both better events for him than the 50. The 50 is more open depending on what happens with Caleb. Um, but I just, I think the 100 fly and the 100 free are his best events internationally. And I just think the competition's too good. I could see three silvers though.
1: I'm going to swim it on the basis that Dressel isn't competing at Worlds or is not in top form at Worlds. I don't think he's going to win the one fly. I think Milok has that in the bag. But I can see him winning either the 50 or the 100. And the 50 because it's wide open. But hear me out. On the 100, we have never seen Popovich go the times that he's been going, I guess, we, we, with the whole drafting thing and drafting off of guys that are bigger than him in the water. And we have to remember that as – at. Euros when he broke the world record, he was out the quickest, and he didn't have to swim in their wash. But Leendo, he goes out really quick. He he was out first at the fifty at Worlds last year, and yeah, and that that's just the scenario to think about. I think he has an outside shot at the one hundred.
0: I'm gonna swim it. I think he can win the hundred fly. Malak was only 50.1 last year. I know his best is 49.6. I think Lando can go, can be 49.6 by wh- whenever Fukuoka is uh, because he's obviously done well with Florida training so far. He's dropped a ton of time, even though this was his first season in yards, but he's we've already seen the effects of it long course. I think he's a clutch swimmer. I think he could win. I think he has a good shot at the hundred fly. I think he could win the hundred free too. I have faith. <laughs>
2: Andy's he's coming off, right. off a double taper. It's a pretty good time for a double taper.
0: And I mean, maybe it's still
2: a single taper. Bit. It's only been like six days.
0: Next up on Sink or Swim, uh, we had a recent interview with Simone Manuel. She documented her journey uh, post-Tokyo back into swimming and in Bob Bowman's pro group. We've seen her compete now in Knoxville and in Fort Lauderdale. Do we see Simone making the world championship team this summer?
2: Uh, I'm going to swim it. The U S is getting better in the hundred free, but the U S is still not great in the women's hundred free. Um, and she's been swimming pretty well. She seems to get a little better every meet. So I'm going to swim. it. I think the opportunity is there for a relay spot. Um, if you ask me if she's going to make an individual, I'd have to think about that a little bit harder. Um, but I think there's plenty of room for her to make a a relay.
1: Yeah. I'm going to swim it as well. I was a little hesitant at first, but then thinking about just the U.S. and the women's 100 free. There's going to be people that add time, and there's going to be people that don't spin fast at the right moment. I can see her sneaking in for a prelims fifth or sixth place relay spot, Um, but yeah, nothing more than that.
0: I definitely have faith in Simone. I think she'll continue to progress. She's already looked really good after not competing for <clears throat> over a year. Um she looks good with Bob Bowman training and that pro group so I'm swimming it I yeah I think she can make at least a fifth or sixth place finish in the 100 free.
2: Coleman do you think she's going to take an individual spot? Oh <laughs> bonus sinker
0: swim. Yes. Ooh, I think she
1: can get second in oh. the 50 free. Oh. 50 free. I mean, the 50 free is pretty wide open. It was yeah. slow yeah. last year. So. Abby, she still made the team on
2: that in Tokyo, right? Everybody forgets. <laughs> yeah. She still made the team in the
0: 50. So Erica Brown is coming off a bronze medal at World Champs. So she's definitely a factor. I think Abby Weitzel is she's having a back. monster season. She's she's looking good so far. Um, I think, I think person, she's going to make two individual <laughs> events.
1: Walsh.
0: So, but yeah, you, there's a lot of com- competition behind who I think Abby I think Abby will win the 50. Yep. I think behind her it's pretty open. Yeah. Yep. And I think
2: yep. Simone could do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. 60 swim means 50% plus 1, so
0: <laughs> All right, and last up on singer swim, we talked about this a, li- a little earlier. We're on na- we're now on year 3 of timed finals at the NCAA relays. Let me try that again. Last up on sink or swim. We talked about this a little earlier. We are now on year three of timed finals at NCAAs for all relays. What do we think of them? Are we sinking or swimming timed finals relays at NCAA championships?
2: When they first rolled it out, I hated it um, because you know when you're at the meet, especially You can feel the kind of weirdness when you know there's a a kind of a top three contender in the second to last heat. Like you can sort of feel it in the building. Um, As it's gone on, I've hated it a little less. I think I still lean towards not liking it, Um, so I'll sink it. But like I hate it a little less. On paper, I don't mind it because I like that it's faster swimming. What I really like about it is the fact that we can move another relay to the first day of the meet and i think that's the right cadence for the meet is to have two relays 111 um so i i like that aspect of it and it'd be much harder to do that with prelims relays um so i I'm, I'm kind of neutral about it i guess there's some things i like some things i don't like but overall i'm going to lean i don't like it so sync
1: i'm going to less than swim i used it. to oh yeah I'm going to swim it. I mean, I wasn't deeply entrenched in swimming when prelims relays were a thing. But to me, NCAAs are already complicated enough me. And having prelims relays, just having the additional, having to figure out lineups and putting swimmers in and calculating, oh, are they going to have enough to do a double or triple session? It's just very tedious. And you see... The relays, especially the relays towards the later few days of the meet, you can tell that people are getting tired already, Um, especially the, f- the fourth relay. You can you can see that. And I just think having prelims relays just brings more strain onto swimmers. And I want to see faster times overall. And if that means removing prelims relay, then I'm fine with it.
0: Yeah, I'm swimming all the way. I want faster swims. That's it. No prelims relays equals faster swims across the board. Done and done.
2: Little, doesn't it feel a little <laughs> flat sometimes? Don't the relays just feel a little like... Uh, they're they flat do because the they're spot.
1: slow. Okay, what about they're...
2: this? What about this? <clears throat> a and B heats based on your regular season times. No. What I do you mean? I like
1: don't that either. So
2: you, you seed into the A final or the B final based on your regular season times not based on a prelims time. I'm fine with that.
1: I don't like that because then you don't get to see Zoe Hartman's anchor Georgia to drop six seconds from their seat.
2: Well, they should should have rested more for SECs. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think making the regular season a bigger deal is fine, which that does. I'm all for more important swims in the regular season. I'm not for monotonous swims that make relays overall slower.
2: Okay. Oh, what about, here's this. How about this? We make four finals heats of four teams each. Oh, my God. Really ratchet up the pressure on prelims (laughs) and make them not monotonous. Can you imagine how cutthroat prelims would be if you had to get top four? Oh. (laughs) Think about the men's meet this year and how many good teams would have been left out after prelims.
0: Jeez. Yeah, no, that's, I don't like that idea, but it sounds wild.
1: Certainly something.
2: Or like skins in the relays.
0: I think this could be like a like an all star meet. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Can we run an all star meet? Just like we can organize it because no yeah. one else wants to.
2: Yeah, with the sharks and minnows game at the end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That
0: would be excellent. All right. This has been the swim breakdown. We're back. You're welcome. Tune in most weeks for your week's news and swimming.
2: <laughs> Let's make most that the weeks. new sign off. Yeah. <laughs>